0: Here we are again. It is part two of a very special edition of the Two Shot Podcast. Your Two Shot Podcast. It's the bits that you've nominated, that you have liked, that have inspired you, made you laugh, made you cry, or you just want to hear again. And the fact that you all got in touch uh, and nominated clips um it's just been brilliant. It's it's been a real joy. Going back over the episodes from 2017, and we're going to kick things off in style. This section with Rebecca Callard, the very lovely, um, and honest and open Rebecca Callard. I know she brought a smile to a lot of you. I found it really touching, episode because I, I didn't, I knew Rebecca a little bit, but we, we didn't know each other that well, and the fact that she was so open about everything um kind of blew me away I think it always does uh with me when people are like that because you know I'm not an investigative journalist I don't I don't want to try and stitch anybody up or take advantage so I, I have to try and read the signs of of you know do I go there? Do I not? And I'm, I know I'm learning. I'm, I'm new to this. I've been an actor for 20 years. This podcasting malarkey is all new, but I really love it. And uh, the support we've had, um, as as touched both myself and producer Griff. What next in this section? Oh, Andy Nyman. What can I say? I mean, I tried to describe the room in which we recorded in in Andy's house, and to uh, to say it was a vintage museum is, quite frankly, an understatement. Seeing is believing. We then, in this section, we then travel to Manchester to sit down with somebody who I'd never met before and who, after like a good hour and a half, felt I knew a lot better and I, I know that this blew everybody away. It's Michael Balagam, And thank you, at Samuel Jack on Twitter, for suggesting. Enjoy.
1: Standing in the wings, covered in sweat, thinking I can't do it, I can't remember my lines, and I'd get through the first act and the relief, and then the, the relief of the end of the play every night was was huge, but then the whole days I would be thinking, well, you know, it's 10 hours away and I'm probably going to forget my lines, eight hours away. And I even went back over my script. I actioned everything because I never learned to action things because right. I didn't go to drama school and I'd, I didn't know that. Everything I did, I turned up, I said my lines, that was it. That's what I'd done since I was a kid. So I thought maybe if I have an an intention on every line, I'll be able to, and I did know them, but I just convinced myself I didn't. Yeah. And then I sort of lost the meaning of what, I was saying, and some of them were in prose, and some of them was in iambic pentameter. And I was like, I don't know, <gasps> you don't know what you're saying. That's what you know. It was, it was, oh it wasn't my great.
0: God, did you not talk to another member of the cast or somebody about it?
1: Um, I didn't actually. I, I actually there was. Um, I met a girl on the job who I'm still really good friends with. Um, uh, she she was in the company. I had told her, but I didn't really. The awful thing was, I just didn't want to. I just didn't want to sort of uh, acknowledge it because I just felt like it was taking over. And then by the end of the play, I was uh, I was doing another play straight after. And then I, I was actually pregnant with my son, so I didn't do that play. Right. And I was quite relieved, actually, because I thought I can't put myself through this again.
0: Because you thought it would have carried on. I just
1: thought it was there forever. And I don't know how I actually got through those performances. I mean, I did sort of start to mess my lines up. Not that the audience would notice, but sort of, you know, my brain was like... And it was... My brain was so loudly saying, you're going to mess your lines up you're going to mess your lines up, that, of course, my mind was sort of like, I can't remember my lines because yeah. you are talking at yourself Yeah, like you are worthless and you can't now remember it because your brain is so muddied with I this mean, negative it, stuff. It, it,
0: things like that can snowball and get yeah. terrifying because then you, you know, sometimes you have to start questioning your own health mentally. Yeah. And then that becomes another worry.
2: Yeah.
1: I have conquered it though. Touch wood so far. Like maybe I'll come back now. I've talked about it. Yeah. Um, right. I've, cause I've never spoken about it. Certainly, you know, my close friends will know about it, but I don't, I always thought it was a weakness as well. And people would think, Oh, well she's flaky. You can't, you know, you can't employ her because she, you know, she might get safe right again. Um, but I, so I had my, my sons, both of my sons, and then I got a small part in a job at the Royal Exchange with um, Matthew Tomter. And, um, and went back on and didn't tell anybody, oh, this is my first, this is my return since <laughs> I massively lost my shit. Yeah. Um, am I allowed to swear?
0: You can say whatever the fuck you like. Okay,
1: brilliant. Um, but yeah, that was, and it was a good way to get back into it, actually. Because-
3: it's no wonder people go mad and turn to booze and drugs and stuff in this business because, you know, I'm sure there's every every business has got its ups and downs, but we are constantly from 17. If you're, if the path you choose is drama school from 17, you are putting yourself out there in front of strangers that you probably, you might, you don't know who they are, and you're basically going out there, opening yourself up and going, do you think I'm good enough? Is it, do you approve of me? And nine times out
0: of 10, there's a door slamming in your face. Going, Absolutely. No, no with no know. reason. Yeah.
3: Or, or we think you're really, really good, but, but, not, but not at the moment. Yeah. And then you have to cope with that. And, and if you're not a fighter or, you know, I came, you know, we've talked about, I had a very, very happy childhood and, brilliantly supportive parents and family and you've been you know blessed with being told you're really good your whole life and oh you can do anything or whatever that your version of that is and then suddenly you're auditioning for places where no no you're not good enough no you're not brilliant at this
4: So I'd come back at night and they'd all want to hear what stories about the day and what, because oh, some of them haven't been out yet. Yeah. They'd all want to hear the stories, like, what did you do? And I'd always tell stories and I'd be quite animated. And one of my mates, Marvin, went, he went do you know what? I think you could be a good actor, you know? Who said this? One of, a friend of mine called Marvin. Right. He said, future, I reckon you could be a really good actor, you know? And I was like, nah, that's not for me. Acting, nah. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, and then there was a guy at Rada called Harry Jardinia, yeah? and he'd been writing this play called Quandry. And he came up to me one day and he went, Michael, you know what? I've been writing this play. Would you mind reading him for this character? He's a drug dealer. And I was like, nah, I don't know about all that, mate. Do you know what I mean? That's not for me. He went, No, nah, just give it a go, please. Just do it. How you just be yourself. Just read it. Do you know what I mean? Do the play. So I done a little reading with him and he's like, Michael, He says, In all honesty, yeah, I'm gonna tell you right now, you can act. I think you should try acting. And again, I was like, nah, that's not for me. Do you know what I mean? Rada? all that kind of, thing. I, was, I was not on that, do you know what I mean? Anyway, long story short, I tried to bring a phone back in of me into the prison. Right. Yeah. And I got caught with that phone and they were like, right, you know what? You're not going to radar again. They stopped me from going there, sent me back to a normal prison because I was so stressed out. Because remember all these touches I'd had in my life, yeah. I kept fucking up. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Fuck. And I started smoking this thing called Spice. Because right, it's like okay. cannabis, but it's fucked, yeah, and it doesn't come up in your, it doesn't show up in your piss tests. So I could smoke it in jail. So I went with a load of spice back to a normal jail, and I started suffering with mental health issues, psychosis, yeah, and I was in a bad way because my the, the guy that they moved me in with a guy who just lost his dad, so he was fucking mourning his dad. There's me stressed out, I've just been thrown out again, and I've got spice and I'm giving it to him, we're smoking it, and he's crying, and I'm stressed out. And he snored like a bear. Oh, God. So I couldn't sleep. So I couldn't sleep. So I was going nuts. I was going a bit loopy. Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to lie to you. I was going a bit loopy. Anyway, just off, so one night I was in my cell. I asked to get into a single cell. I went in a single cell. And I was like, you know what? Everything just got on top of me. I was like, you know what? I'm going to sit here tonight and I'm going to think. If I don't figure out what I'm going to do with my life tonight, I'm ending it. I'm going to kill myself. I made a decision. That is it. I made a noose, had it on the side, I turned off the TV, turned off the radio, I turned off the light, I was sat in my cell in darkness by myself, just thinking. It's like, what am I meant to do? Like, I was like, it's not fair. My mum, this and that, blah, 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 blah. All this stuff I went through. What, it's not fair, but I was like, do I mean, life isn't fair. And I started thinking to myself, what could I do with my life? What could I do? What could I do? What could I do? What could I do? Could I do? And I just sat there in silence and I was sitting there for hours. And I I started this at about seven o'clock and I was sat in my 11, 12, just sat there thinking. I kind of went through my life from my earliest memories all the way through. Yeah. And then like at different moments, I remember other people had said to me, you're, you can act. When I was younger, like that teacher, Miss Mills, like Michael, you know, you're quite creative. Other people had said to me, you know, you could do this, you could do that. Even at the bank, they kind the saw bank. it. Yeah, even at the bank, the yeah. judge, yeah. that came up. I was like, fuck, I remember that. Then it came to me, was, I can't explain it, man. Like, I don't, I'm not, I don't believe in God in the conventional sense. but I believe there's something in it. I don't know what that thing is, but something just shot into my mind. Like, it was acting. That's what I'm meant to do. And like, I'm telling you now, yeah, no word of a lie. I've never seen anything like it in my life. The moment that thought came in my head, I just, everything just dropped off. All the stress. I can't explain it, man. Like, everything, the stress, the strife, everything I'd been through just dropped. It just dropped. I was like, fuck, I found it. I found what I'm meant to do. I know what I'm meant to do with my life. I know it now, yeah? Yeah. So the next day, this psychiatrist, this drug worker, and the thing is, like, they say in it, like, people say, like, when you find that thing, and you're in tune with that thing, whatever you're meant to do, it's as if, like, the fucking Red Sea part. Yeah. So the next day, this woman came to my show, she's like, Michael, you know, officers have been complaining and saying that, you know, your mental health isn't the best and, you know, we need to talk about that because we might need to section you. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm fine now. She's like, she said, why do you think you're fine? I was like, I know what I'm to do. I want to be an actor. She's like, like, Michael, look, we need to seriously talk to you about this now. She's thinking, I've gone nuts now. Do you know what I mean? I was like, no, I'm telling you, I'm being genuinely serious. I'm not smoking anymore. I know what I want to do. I want to be an actor. She went, I don't know what it was, but it's just the way I said it to her. She believed me in it.
0: Because you believed it. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
4: So she went, you know what? I just happened to be a part-time drama teacher. No way. I swear, I swear to God, the next day after I had that thought, the next day, Craig, do you know what I mean? So she was like, I'm going to bring you in plays and stuff to read and literature and stuff and blah, blah, blah. So she'd bring me in plays. King Lear, the first play I ever read was King Lear. Man. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. <laughs> but, I, but I kind of eventually kept reading. I kind of got a sense of it. I kind of got, to, yeah. got understanding of it. Read that and the importance of being earnest. All these plays, I mean, I just reading them, reading them because I was so hungry. To, 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 I was like, this is it. So, I think I, f-
0: I gave up when I started reading Kingly. I, it? I couldn't make it <laughs> end the tail of it. Oh,
4: man, that is un- unbelievable. So then, so then, and then, like, I, w- I started watching TV religiously. Like, I watched, it was Grand Christmas, you know, when they started showing, like, specials for Christmas. Yeah. So that year, it was Great Expectations with Ray Winston in it and a couple of other actors, I was watching it. And, and I'd always loved film. I'd always loved films. I'd loved films religiously. Do you know what I mean? Not just gangster films but like all kinds of films she sure. loved and i remember if i saw a good bit of acting i'd rewind it and be like "Right, oh, that was that was sick do you know what I mean i just, just just i don't it's just i just used to do that yeah but i didn't really connect it anyway my girlfriend at the time i was like look i need you to go online and print off what you need to do to get into drama schools and there was a girl at rada who i wrote a letter to and i said to her kisser and she said to me as well, she, me and I were messing about when she asked me to help her learn some lines and I was doing it. She's like, and she said to me, she's like, Michael, you can act. Fucking hell, do you know what I mean? So she, she said to me, so I wrote a letter to Rada to her, and a teacher at Rada called Joan. I said, look, you know, because they were wondering, where's Michael gone? So I was like, look, guys, you know, I got recalled back, but I've realised that I don't want to be a chef. I want to be an actor. And then, and then Joan didn't respond to me, but Kizza was like, Kizza, she was like, Michael, you know, people that work at Rada kind of always think things like that. You know, it's a very place you can come and easily start thinking there. But there's another drama school called Identity that works with a lot of people of multicultural backgrounds, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, don't try and frog me off with, I mean, I'm going to rock. I don't, I'm fucking about with that. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, this, gets, this is fucking story enough. So anyway, I, for some reason, so I've got all this, so I've got all this literature about drama scores, Lambda, RADA, Bristol, da, 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 all these different dramas. You're still in prison. I'm still in point. prison. Yeah, right. I'm in jail studying these things. I get really obsessed with this stuff. I'm studying. Okay. Bristol, you need two monologues. That one, you need a song. That one, you need this. I'm studying. I've got charts to myself. Do you know what I mean? Pictures and all this. I'm going berserk. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I get released. Yeah. And I'm I'm trying to get in contact with the woman who gave me the job at the bar. So I get in contact with her. She's like, You've got no space. I mean, if I can get back on the bar, then I've kind of got a way in, yeah? Yeah. And for some reason, it went over my head about a shoe that owned. For some reason, I just didn't even comprehend that. I was thinking, I'm going to need to pay 28 grand for this. So I started selling drugs again. No, my God. Yeah, seriously. Started selling drugs again. But this time, it was just to go to drama school. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So. After about six months, long story short, I saved 23 grand, yeah? After how long, sorry? After six months of me being released, I saved 23 grand. I wasn't buying anything. I was out in the rain, walking around, giving my number out. I was just thinking drama school, drama school, acting, acting, acting. While I was doing this, I was doing workshops at a place called Crisis, Shakespeare workshops with this guy called, um, fuck, Peter, Peter Searles. Yeah, he's an actor. And he went to Lambda and he was teaching us Shakespeare. I was with a bunch of homeless people, there's a couple of people with mental health issues and this weird bunch of motley crew just doing these Shakespeare workshops. Do you know what I mean? So I was thinking I needed to do anything I can to get into it and they were free as well, do you know what I mean? Anyway, long story short... That's amazing that they were free. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Do you know what I mean? Long story short, I ended up getting nicked, selling drugs, went back to prison again, yeah? Michael. Yeah? Went back to jail again, (sighs) yeah? Listen to this. Yeah. Gone back to jail again. And obviously I was on the licence because I'd, I'd, I'd done four and a half years and I was out for six months, gone back again, back into prison again now. So, bruv, I'm i am fu- I'm thinking after all of that, what did I do wrong? Because I was selling drugs to get into r- dr- drama school, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, got this book called The Alchemist. Have you ever read it? I have read yeah, it, yeah. I got this book, The Alchemist. Someone gave it to me. I was like, fucking hell, I started reading it. I have read this book. I read it four times back to back. Do you know what I mean? And I realised that if I was going to go to drama school and become an actor, I need to just just do that. That was it. I would have to cut off people, have to cut off ties, forget about drugs, forget about that. And I just have to focus on that. So I was at rock bottom now. And you're not saying that, when you're at rock bottom, the only way is up. I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to just power through this. So I was like, right, you know what? That life to me is dead now. Crime is dead to me now. I don't want nothing to do with it. I was like, this is me now. It's like, cool.
0: Now, if you haven't gone back and listened to... Of course, I want you to listen to all the episodes. They're all brilliant. But if you haven't listened to Michael Balogun's journey in his episode, please, I urge you, go, go back. Listen to it a couple of times. The amount of people that I've spoken to who, when they listened were screaming wherever they were in the car, in the gym, at home. No, Michael! Exactly like I was doing when I heard it. No, Michael, don't. No. Bless him, he is so on the right path now. Uh, I'm still in touch with him. And I've got a bit of interesting news about Michael, which I will tell you in 2018. The next section... Aaron Bennett got in touch to suggest uh, this section of Danny Mays again, and it's always a joy, so you can listen to that, followed by the great Tamsin Althwaite. And then at Madslack on Twitter got in touch because she was very touched by the beautiful and fantastic and very funny Maya Sunday. Enjoy this section, and I'll see you in a bit. How do you deal with the times when they don't happen, or it's hard to get that that fire stoked in your belly? Um, Well, listen, I didn't... I left RADA, uh,
5: and I didn't work for nearly, like, six months. I'd signed with London Management. I'd signed with Sarah Spear, who I'm still with now. They're now at the brilliant Curtis Brown. Um... But I was working as at Jane Collins Casting. I was a casting assistant. I was operating the camera. She was a commercials casting person in King's Cross. Right. And um, I was just... I actually ended up taking the, the castings for all the extras. They had to do, like, a little simple acting thing. And uh, But I was going in for things, wasn't getting anything. Hered- or just awful, awful, you know fearful time of going what have i done what do i do now i've thrown all my eggs in one basket and i'm not getting any bites but at least you weren't sat on your ass waiting for the phone to ring you were out there earning some money no i was earning money yeah no i was uh i was you know trying to stay positive and then all of a sudden i've got a audition for eastenders julia Crampsy, the casting director i went in it was to play kevin uh the ex-boyfriend of the slaters when they arrived. I remember you know, it wow. well. Uh, chained himself up to the gate like a suffragette.
0: I just remember us shouting up to the window, yeah. was it raining? Yeah, it was yeah. all that, yeah. yeah. So,
5: but the thing that happened was, I got four episodes on that, and I cannot stress this enough, it's the relationships that you build up, and it was from, that was the first meaningful professional relationship I had, uh, was with Julia Crampsy. And she saw me, she cast me in EastEnders, and then she cast me in a show called In Deep with Stephen Tompkinson and Nick Berry. But it was that connection. Yeah. So it was, you quickly learn to make friends with good people. Yeah. Casting directors, producers, directors, build up a network of people and go in and smash the job, know your lines, uh, give it your all, and things start to happen. Like It's like a push and pull thing, isn't it? Do you know what I'm saying? I was at dinner with a producer the other day. He said, the thing is, it's like, it's pushing its pull. You come out of drama school and you just push with all your might just to get noticed, just to put your head above the parapet, just to get recognition, just to get something. Yeah. And then things start to happen and and, and this, that and the other, and then you start to get traction and then you can stop pushing a little bit. And then it's always like trial and error. It's always like it's it's an ever-changing thing,
0: you know. So, um, Do you feel it has changed over the sort of, what, 20 years now, isn't it, Dan? Well, uh, I graduated rather
5: year 2000, so, yeah. Yeah, coming up. Nearly 20 years. Do you you, you Nearly 20 years ago now. Do
0: you feel it's changed, the business, little aspects of it? Um, Or certain attitudes have changed?
5: Not overtly, no. I think you still... Look, it's still about you... (laughs) Getting a call, getting a script through. This is the time and the place. Doing the hour. These, these are the people that you're going to meet. Yeah. This is the script. Read it, prepare, and do the best you can. That's really all you can do. Yeah. But learn it, have a clear understanding of what you're going to do in the room, have your own take on it, and leave it all in the room. I always say to young actors, when they ask for advice, I say like, don't ever leave an audition and think, I could have done
0: this, so I didn't do that. Yeah. You it it it. just got to leave it. But well, that room. comes with time, I think, as well. Because sometimes I know younger actors spoke to me, going, "You know, I had this audition, uh, and then I, I couldn't stop thinking about it on the way home." And they I like, "Oh, why did I say that? I shouldn't have done that." Just, yeah. you, ju- you do have to leave it. There. But I think that comes with time. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing is. Um... But also, I, I've been in that situation still up until now. That sometimes I, I find it hard to leave it in the room. Sometimes. Do you, right. on, on certain things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, can yeah. you honestly say that you can really leave it in the room after every job?
5: Now? No, I mean, look, every, every audition you do is not going. You not, it's not going to go according to plan. Sometimes, no. and sometimes you have an off day, don't you? Well, that's That's that,
0: but, that's not. That, you can't control that. That's no, no, you sense can't. Of the power. You can only control what you do. But
5: I, I, I mean, look, I, I've stayed in the game. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you, like a lot of our friends. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not... and, so,
0: and some have dropped away some over the have years. Dropped, yeah,
5: yeah. And, and, and because it's precarious, because it's difficult, because it's overpopulated, because there is a lot of talented actors out there. True. And we're all going for the same thing. I've learned over the years to let all that go. Yeah. I was a bit like a bear with a sore head. If I don't get the part, my agent's probably listening to You're like that now, Danny. No. I don't think you are, actually.
0: I think you've changed a lot.
5: I've mellowed out. Yeah. I was, you know, like I said, it's like life and death when you first start out. But, you know, you get older, you mature. I've got kids now. I think, in actual fact, the drive in order to work just shifts. It doesn't well, of really. Of course, it's because your priorities change. Yeah. I'm there to provide for my family and to put a roof over their head, and to pay for school fees, and uh, you know, just to provide. And so that really
0: now is my becomes my driving force. But and uh, not in a selfish way. You still need to feed your artistic. You, you need to yeah. get that level up as well, don't yeah, you? Yeah,
5: but then all of a sudden you'll get a, a you know a project will come along, which you know. Ticks all the boxes. Yeah. Case in point, recently, Against the Law with Fergus O'Brien. Just something I'd never attempted before. An amazing script by Brian Phillips. And you think, wow, that is a challenge. That is something I've never done. Can I do that? Of scared, course you can. But- really
0: scared of doing it. But let's jump in and do it. But how brilliant that they cast you, a working class actor, in that part. Yeah. And they I did. felt really privileged. But they obviously need... But they could quite easily... Of gone yeah. the, the same old route by casting uh, a, a very sort of one of the well-known upper-class actors to They though. could have
5: cast a well-known gay actor, really. Yeah. I mean, they could have gone down that route, but of course. it was really uh, it felt like a breath of fresh air, and I felt incredibly lucky that. I mean, I, I, I did think, well, well, uh, this is not normally the role that I play, um, but what I'm saying to you is. The longer you stay in it, if you have that longevity, if you are consistently professional, you learn your lines, you try and stretch yourself as a performer, if you stay in it long enough, something will happen. Sure. A part will come along or a project will be offered to you where you think, wow, this is just like, you know... I mean, John Hurt died recently, and I saw this amazing interview with him, and he was saying the process of acting, even to him the latter stages of his life, it was always evolving. It was always changing. It was always going deeper and deeper within himself. Yeah. There are still I mean that's the beauty and the mystique of the acting profession is you can you can do anything, really. And also you never stop learning. You never yeah. stop learning. And that's a great thing, you know?
0: What do you feel now of a woman in in your in your forties, do you feel that things have changed for you as an actor?
6: Oh yes.
0: In in do you, in, in what kind of way?
6: Well, for instance, now work is it's it's just different. It's not playing. You know, you just you evolve into a completely different character. So naturally, that the work that comes in now is not like leads at the forefront of things. Mm. You know, and I'm quite happy with that. I don't like having it all on my shoulders. So I quite like an ensemble piece. Yeah. probably That also comes from theatre, loving a group. Um, and now I, I think, well, hand in hand with the fact that the parts are not coming thick and fast. I mean, if, you, if I think about when I left EastEnders for the years after that, I just couldn't fit the work into the time. No,
0: you're never off the telly.
6: Which I suppose you're only going to have so many years being able to do that. Yeah. Or people are only going to want to see you for so much time because, you know, that's enough.
7: Not want to see people because I'd think I'd bring them down. I just wanted to be fun with people. So I didn't want... Then I'd end up see, coming across as really flaky because I'd cancel on things, cancel on people. Didn't want to do big social things because you're so low and you don't and you don't want to talk. And also, you feel a bit naff saying, oh, I'm just really low because I'm I'm not working. Because people who are not in the business don't really get that. <sighs> yeah. It's like they're in the real world, yeah. you know. Um, and, but then... You sort of, I sort of worked out to manage that and kind of throw myself into the side job. So I started teaching English as a foreign language because I trained to do it it's a week training course and then did that. And I, I loved it because you get really interesting, funny students every day and they, they look to you because they, they're looking to you for something that you can give them. So suddenly you've got a purpose again Yeah, and it's great. And then, and it's just hilarious. Like it's really funny and just, watching the ways that students would interact with each other with very little English with more English from all different places in the world I remember one amazing class where I had I had the advanced set and I had a 17 year old boy from like Croatia or somewhere and I had a 70 year old woman from somewhere else and they're in this class of only like four or five students together and we were like looking at Shakespeare and stuff I was just like this is brilliant how when would when would these two people ever be together in a classroom learning i i i get to watch them i get to teach them this 17 year old little boy and this 70 year old woman
0: and that's a great buzz
7: Oh, was just brilliant yeah cuz it's all like you know what we we what we do is is people watch don't we because we we reflect life so we need to know different people's different the way what makes different people tick <sighs> what they do, what their sensibilities are, and just watching people from all over the world and come together and interact. It's just brilliant. And I did it in the middle of Soho as well, which is even more brilliant. Wow.
0: (laughs) I remember not long after we recorded with Maya, she got in contact with me. that She was a bit worried that, that she spoke too much, and I said, don't worry, it's a podcast. You can't talk too much. It's a good thing, unless it's, you know, You're just talking rubbish then. Which is what I do quite a lot, it seems. And after her episode went out, she got in touch with me. I really hope she doesn't mind me telling you this, that uh, her parents listened to it. And they cried because they were so touched by hearing their daughter speak so openly and honestly so Mr. and Mrs. Sunday. I want to say a big hello and a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. I hope you're proud of your daughter. Of course you are. But she's uh, she's a real top, top girl uh, and a brilliant mum. I shall have you know. Now the next section, we are going back to London with a nomination for Sanjeev Baska from Elentia. Thank you so much for getting in touch. we we'll are then back off to Charlie's. Second favourite son, the first, is obviously producer Griff. Amanda Sullivan wanted uh, another Joseph Gilgan section. You can never have too much Gilgan in your life. Then we've got to go to Oldham to have a clip from my old mate, Mr. Will Ash. See you in a bit.
8: You you go into survival mode, I think, and I think that's what I did. Yeah. Because no one would sit next to me in class. So and the breaks and lunchtimes and stuff, I went to the library, and just kind of made myself busy. And I think that outwardly, I think do you know what, I, when I think back on it, when I, because I've met other people since who've been through similar things at that age, you know, uh, some of them uh, dealt with it very well, and some of them didn't deal with it particularly well at all. And I kind of it made me kind of think about what what got me through it. Now there was yeah the protective stuff, and uh, but I think I remember there was a moment where I thought, "Gosh, there's 114 people who are telling me that I'm sort of worthless piece of shit." They had a they, they put a notice up on the sixth form notice board in the um, common area, uh, which were the ten most hated people in the sixth form. And I took up the first four places. It was no. my name four times before it got to someone else. And uh, I remember thinking, gosh, there's 114 people telling me I'm sort of like, you know, uh, worthless. You know, there's, maybe they're right, you know. And then I remember thinking, or well, maybe they're all wrong. <laughs> and I just had a sliver of arrogance or, or whatever. Strength, it sounds like to me. Oh, my God. It's Yeah, it's a trick. I mean, it, you know, Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, strength is probably not a word that I would use. Again, it was survival and it was, but I saw it out, you know, it kind of, uh, I never uh, forgot it. No, of course. Um, But uh, there was an interesting thing uh, uh, a few years later when I first started working, I first started appearing on TV and there was a guy that I bumped into who uh, I was at school with, who then bumped into someone else. And this someone else was saying, uh, Steve was the guy uh that kind of started talking to me uh, after a few months. He bumped into someone else. And the Steve said to him, he said, Oh, do you keep in touch with anyone from school? And this other guy, Harry or whatever, was saying, Oh yeah, I so, so-and-so, and he said, blah, blah blah He's kind of head of IT at this place. you know, he's done he's done the best out of everyone. Because he's kind of like, you know, head of IT. I mean, that's just fantastic. <laughs> and he went through a few other names, and Steve said, Well, Sanjay's done quite well, you know, he's on TV and everything. And Harry said to him, yeah, he hasn't done as well as Pierce Brosnan, though, has he? And I remember thinking, you you think it's an insult. My goodness, you've just moved me in a completely different category. Um, So I think it was, uh, you know, the protectiveness, certainly a touch of arrogance maybe, but also uh, I've been really lucky in that I've, from very early on, I was able to find the ridiculous in situations. So it leaves you in a position where no one's interacting with you, being an observer. Mm. Um, but also I could spin it off into the kind of, you know, you know ridiculous kind of uh, extremes of the situation that was in. So in many ways it kind of sounds more bleak than it felt at the time, but, but I was constantly managing it, I think. Um, which, you know, wasn't pleasant, but, you know, also neither did I have a breakdown at the time. Of so. course. That's what you say, you know, you survived. You went into yeah.
0: survival mode, I like that. Mm. I've been
2: working with a guy called Matty Tal- Talba. Talba, i never get his second name right, mate. He was the pro- he's the pr- producer of uh, Preacher, and he's been, incre- like, just brilliant at, like, I remember what I said to him once. I said, Matty, I'm fucking, do you know I'm shitting myself, man? Between me and you, I am just shitting myself. Uh, This is massive. It's a massive deal. And uh, I I just hope I don't fuck it up. I'm just always panicking and worried that I'm fucking it up. He went, you're not fucking it up. And he went, and just so you know, he went, it's all right that you feel that way. Um, He went, it doesn't make any difference to us. Like we don't mind. We still like you. It makes no difference at all to us that you feel that way. But you, oh well, fucking, it was just <laughs> the, the best thing anyone could have said. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I, I was just so sure that everyone because my thing is I fucking try and hide it well. You know, I hide it well, and people think I'm, you know, super fucking confident but I'm just trying to shit you up. I'm just trying to scare you so you don't get me. you know what I mean? Like, I'm socially in control, motherfucker. Check out this for wit. You know, big dick on a wall. Hey, what am I like? What am I fucking like? Don't ever try it on. Don't ever try it on. Uh, But inside, you know, there's a part of me just thinking, shit, how am I going to handle this one, you know? You know. I'm sure that's true of a lot of people.
9: But I remember then when I did the second series, in my head, I was thinking, I'm not doing, I, I don't want to do a third one because I want to do something else. I'm doing, I, I, I'm being an actor because I love it and I want to do a variety of different things. Uh, and I was young, you know, uh, like, you know, then I was, I was, I was 19. Right. I was thinking, I, 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 and I can do other things because I've been working. It's been great. You know what I mean? Um, and so, I, I, you know, I don't want it. I don't want to do it. Had it been now, it might be you know a different story because I've got a mortgage and stuff like that. I've got kids and stuff. So the financial implications come in. But at that age, it it was the right, it was absolutely the right thing to to go and do because you you've got no you know you've got kind of no no responsibilities whatsoever. I just wanted to do a variety of work. Didn't want a kid. I'd done it for two 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 series, so three months each, probably three four months each, and it was great. I had a brilliant brilliant time on it. And but I just I, I, but I'd done it. Yeah, that's how I felt I'd done it you know
0: I suppose and over that time of you not knowing if this was the right path for you suddenly it all becomes no this is the right thing I want to do yeah. so you had a lot of ambition and a lot of passion and you wanted yeah. to try lots of different things and not get you know anchored down to Ye- one particular to
9: type of path and it, and it is well really, because it can be quite dangerous because then I was I was aware of that of going you could end up start relying on this money now if I could buy a big car and you know what I mean and then I've you know Got to pay for the insurance on that every year, and or make you know with the money maybe you know move out of my mum and dad's house and go and do all that, and then I've got finance obligations, so don't do it. It's, it's You know, kind of stay free. Yes, yeah. and, and, and and it was definitely the right, the right thing to do. I don't think I got a job off the back of it. Coming off the back, but then I don't think I worked for a long time afterwards. And I remember my mum and dad kind of going, you know, maybe you should have stayed in that, maybe, you know, for a bit of financial stability. But I, but I can remember myself just thinking, "That no, don't matter about I'm not bothered about that. Now, I
0: never thought that uh, doing these podcasts would be like therapy for some people. Uh, it turns out it is a bit, which. I think can only be a good thing and one person who I think was shocked that it was like therapy so much that she said was Lauren Socker and we went to Derby we had a cup of tea we wrangled a child and sat down with Lauren and it was a really it was a really brilliant chat Um, I knew she'd be honest she always is I didn't think she'd be that honest. I don't think she thought she'd be that honest, actually. And it's a clip nominated by Zoe Hall. Thank you, Zoe. I know you've been a big supporter of the podcast from day one. So, thank you. Where are we going next? Oh, well, it's Thomas Turgos. Another... It was a shorter episode, but no less brilliant. And then, Joe Sims... Bristol's favourite son. Um, Lovely at Doric Skateboards up in Scotland. Get your wheels on, lads. Uh, They nominated this clip, so thank you so much and thanks for your support. We will see you next year in Scotland, OK? Enjoy.
10: I was looking for an agent when my agent wrote me a letter and I just rang and went, no, that's fine, you know. ended on good terms and... The agent that I've been with now, I'm always in work. You know, and that's what I want. And that's you know, he knows about my situation. He's he's a lot younger than my other agent. He's in his twenties. So yeah. he can sort of relate to what the stuff I wanna do. I don't don't wanna do a period drama. I, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna I don't wanna have to do a play. I don't I don't really like I like watching him, I just don't like being in him. You so know? you just
0: wanna be selective about what you do. Yeah, yeah. And, and I suppose be happy. And
10: be happy and Work hard and have her just live and work hard and give my daughter the best life that I can. Because if I didn't have her, then I'd be dead. That's how I see it. Like, it's she's just like, it's going to get me upset. It's all
0: right.
10: Okay. God, I can't believe I'm crying. It's all right. So sorry. It's okay, don't be sorry. It's sorry.
0: absolutely cool. I
10: just like, she's literally the best thing ever. And like, that's why I'm good at. I'm good at being a mum. I'm good at supporting her and waking up every day knowing that I've got her for the rest of my life and no-one will take that from me, nobody. And, you know, having having that connection with her is the, the best thing and it's happiness. And that's what I was looking for for so long and it's a shame, really, because if I had this mindset six, seven years ago, I'd smash it. I'd be smashing it. But because I was a divvy and I was young and stupid and... Thought I was better than everyone and doing stupid stuff. I just fold, fold, and just nearly messed up my whole life. But I'm back and I'm really, really good in a really good place. That's good.
11: But I turned eighteen and I sort of—it's a bit of a—it's not a regret, but I sort of think if I'd have carried on working as hard as I did when I was younger, where could I be now? Instead, I just went to the pub, went to Ibiza went to Magaluf, went to Bennett, did all that stuff that... But you were 18, yeah. that's probably
0: what you were supposed to do. Yeah, you know?
11: exactly. And, you know, I was t- up to about twenty twenty one. and I was, I was turning up to auditions, not prepared. I've literally just been speaking about this this morning with Laura, my voice agent, saying that there was times when I'd turn up to auditions and I'd have the paper in front of me, and it probably the second time I've read it, and there was times when the, the, the casting people were saying... Can you put your chin up a bit? Can, you know, just reading from the paper. Right. And I cringe really bad at that now. I think, God. Because now I, I wouldn't go into an audition if I wasn't prepared. Yeah. And it's you, I won't ever go into an audition now if I don't know it off book. There's and just no to, point, yeah. is there? Because
0: it, it just reflects badly on yourself. And it did, badly. Yeah.
11: And it really, really did. And, you know, I was turning up, it, sometimes not even turning up to auditions, and give myself a bit of a bad name in the, it, to casting directors, so now it got to sort of 23, 24, and I am now trying to build that back up. Did that, somebody
0: pull you aside and have a word about that, mate, or did, was, that, was that something you did within it, yourself?
11: It, it, it was not so much for work why I stopped boozing and partying like I did. because It was more Charlotte, my fiance. I remember once, because I was going out for days, and the only time I'd ring her was when I wanted to. Um, and we'd been together sort of six months a year. And, you know, she battled and battled and battled to keep our relationship alive. And if it weren't for her doing what she did when we were younger, like, we will not be together now. God knows God knows if I'd still even be here, you know. Because she just said to me, she said, you, you can do that and you can, you can be around these people who aren't really your friends, you know. They're just there because of, you know, you've got money and, you, you know, you're doing this and you're doing that. But if that's the tri- life you want to go down, if that's what you want to do, then I'm going to go. And I remember that she said that to me and I thought... I can't, I'm not gonna let her go because no. she's, I don't, I don't know if you've ever met, have you met Charlotte? I, I haven't met her, no. She's, she's, like hands down, one of the most amazing people you'll ever meet. Um, and yeah, and I was scared that she was gonna walk away. And that sort of made me think, oh God, you know, I'll, I'll sort of come away from all that and I'll avoid these people for a bit and I'll, you know, I'll settle down with Charlotte. And that's when we started working hard with the scripts. We started, she said, right, you've got an audition. Right, well, don't go out, we'll sit at... Because we still lived at home then, we still lived with my, with my stepmom and she lived at hers. She was like, well, my, you know, we'll go to my house, we'll sit in the back room at my mum's, we'll learn this, we'll do this, you'll get this train, then you get on that tube to this station, then you go and do this. And she just sorted my life out, like, massively.
12: I see brilliance, and I see—God, I'm saying so, such a wanker—but I see brilliance. I see beauty everywhere. Like, I like my nan was poorly in like you know and and, and like you know she she didn't um, she didn't survive in the end but you know while she was in palliative care i remember the sally army like you know singing at christmas and things like that and like you know the nurses they don't do it for a round of applause like you know or like you know or to be written about in papers or anything yeah. like that but roll up their sleeves and dig in every day to make people's life just a little bit better teachers they don't just turn up for the money but play their classes like symphonies and stay late all the time uh, like you know and run different like you know clubs like English booster clubs and mass booster clubs like you know uh, uh, boxing like you know football all those kind of things I'm so grateful to those teachers that did that for me and I'm so grateful for teachers and nurses and doctors like people go above and beyond and I see those people everywhere and they're never talked about like we're always talked about like you know the state of the world and what a rubbish place it all is and stuff like that and I'm not it's not going to hell in a handcart it's not. not because not when there's that many good people ready to stand we just need to kind of we, we need to galvanise. We need to stand shoulder to shoulder and, and, and shout louder about the beauty in the world and how nice there are, how many nice people there are, just doing fantastic stuff. I think you need to go into politics, Joe. I'm already inspired, man. This is amazing stuff. But, but that's the thing, like, but I'm inspired by people every day. These people, like, I, I, I started this, um, uh, this group, um, and it's essentially, uh, we get, it was like uh, me, myself, and a few friends, like four friends, and we got. Five hundred of our mates to set up a standing order of one Wait pound. A minute, you've got five hundred mates. I'll be between, <laughs>
0: oh between, between all of you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was yeah. going to say I've got like about five. So we got
12: like a hundred mates each to set up the standing order of one pound a week, and those people, uh, those five hundred people, then can like write into us and just go and nominate someone who'd be a beneficiary uh, for for five hundred pounds each week. Um, so like, you know, so for example, there was, um, there's a, um, a couple of brothers in their sixties in a council estate, uh, that, that one of my friends knew, um, and he just, his brother was agoraphobic and, uh, his brother just lost his job. And so they didn't know they were going to afford to pay the rent and all that kind of stuff. So we had... Five hundred pound went to them, filled up their fridge in their freezer. There was a social worker who was part of our group who went down there and filled out all the requisite forms and got those boys back on track um, this week. It was a a, a, um, a a wonderful lady who sadly like both her mum and dad live in Australia, uh, got cancer. Um, so we got 500 quid to fly her back so she could be with her mum and dad. You know, like, that's, that, that's, the, that's, those little things. They say 500 quid, but every week, like, it brings tears to my eyes. Like, I just, like, you know, it, it makes me so happy to see that, like, yeah, every week, you get, we get to, like, you know, us 500 people just get help someone out. And it's like completely, well, before
0: it is, <laughs> Joe, this is. this is a, this is a BBC Sunday night TV show hosted by <laughs> Davina McCall. Oh, I me. Mean, I mean, this is what you should. <laughs> I've never heard anything like this. That's a really beautiful, positive thing, man. That's it, lovely. It's a dri- it, it, like you know, it's a drip in a
12: bucket. Like you know, like I say, like you know, like I I, I couldn't be a nurse. I don't like blood or like anything like these kind of things. These people just do incredible stuff, and there's heroes everywhere. Yeah, like, it's everywhere, true, man. It's just, true. Just, just, just the ordinary people doing extraordinary things, and uh, you know, and, and and that's what I find absolutely humbling. But we just got to find a way of, like, you know, getting all these people together and, and just supporting kind of, them. Yeah, exactly. Let's just make the world a world, like, you know, let's just make the world a better place. There's enough of us. You know, there's way more nicer people than there are like evil, ugly people.
0: That is so. It's just, so it's, true. Just, it's
12: just we have to shout that much louder.
0: Honestly, the positivity that radiates from Joe Sims is infectious. If you ever see him, shake his hand, give him a little hug. Maybe some of that will rub off on you. God knows we all need it sometimes, don't we? Now, I'm sorry to say that that is it. That is the end of 2017 for us at the Two Shot Podcast. But there's one more clip. It's been nominated by at Mad Slack on Twitter. So thank you. It's a clip from the Danny episode. If you haven't heard this episode, do go back and have a listen. But I think it's quite touching. It certainly was for me when we recorded it. And I think it's a nice way to end this uh, very special and festive episode of the Two Shot Podcast. So thank you all for joining us, for supporting us for the emails, the messages, the Twitters, the likes, the retweets. The fact that you're telling people what we do, it really means a lot. You know, we're just two guys doing this. We're not part of any major network. We're not uh, sponsored by anybody. We do have the Patreon site, so I need to do a massive thank you to everybody that has donated anything towards what we do Um, because it really helps it really makes a massive difference so thank you on that note i have been craig parkinson he has been producer griff and this has been your episode of the two shot podcast we wanted to wish you all a very very happy new year all the best wishes for 2018 we're gonna bring you more episodes with more people and we're gonna keep doing our best to make them as good as each and every one that we've delivered to you in 2017. So you take care, look after yourself, and this is Danny.
13: But, But Smiley said to me, you know, some people may think you've given up. I think, really, they know that it's the bravest thing you possibly could have done. Because in some ways, it's, it would have been easy for me to keep acting and playing the little violin for myself, saying, you know, my agent doesn't love me, I'm not getting the jobs, blah, blah, blah. But because I hadn't wanted to do it all my life... Yeah. It, ..that gave me that little bit of space to say, right, I'm out, I'm not doing it, you know. Um, I miss it. I do miss it sometimes. You do miss it? I miss the work. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Work, it's fun,
0: <laughs> <laughs> except when it's making you really unhappy.
13: Exactly. You know, and God, I mean, you know, I remember joking with somebody. You know, there's two types of actors: ex-alcoholics, <laughs> alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because, and the, you know, the joke wasn't really about alcoholism. The joke no. was about how difficult it is to cope with the rejection the insecurity, the, you know, the, the absolute adulation followed by ten months of nobody knowing who you are. Yeah. Of, you know, I heard Eddie Nestor on the radio the other day, who Eddie Nestor's a, a, a old old school, been around many, many years, and people forget, a very, very good actor, but has his own radio show now on BBC London, And he said, you know, the other day he was talking about signing on and being asked for his autograph in the queue. (laughs) (laughs) And you just think, yeah, that sort of sums
0: it up. It's funny, because these podcasts, um, what I never really do, they're never a career retrospective, or we never talk about jobs. But I think, in your case, what sets it apart from any others is we had to delve into the jobs, because that's that's where you're you know, in inverted commas, training sort of started and put you through. Um, And I think you're on a, obviously, a much happier path now.
13: I have no doubt at all that um, we wouldn't be sitting... Literally. (laughs) ..where we are now um, with my lovely other half... And, and two beautiful kids. And my oldest daughter having I mean, just come in. Yeah. And, you know, on a beautiful sunny day in North London. And, yeah, I'm, I'm a lot happier. I'm a lot happier.
0: And isn't that what it's all about at the end of the day?
13: I don't think there can be any doubt that that is exactly what it's all about. And, I mean, you know, if you're lucky enough to have children and a supportive Partner, you know, everything just changes the minute you have a the minute you have a child. Maybe not the minute, because it's pretty terrifying.
0: But but it certainly grows. I I know what you mean, and I'm sure people listening will know exactly what you mean.
13: It just changes, doesn't
0: it? Because you're just not important. (laughs) It's not about you anymore. No, it's not about (laughs)
13: you anymore. You know, if anybody needed telling that, one may suggest. actors might be tough of that list
0: <laughs> the two shot podcast is presented by me Craig Parkinson recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for splicing block our music our brilliant music is courtesy of then thickens cheers